Do you know how much imposter syndrome is costing your business? The thing with imposter syndrome is that we don't know from the outside who is experiencing imposter syndrome at any given time. On a recent study that I carried out, employees described their experience of imposter syndrome as feeling really anxious and feeling really stressed. Imposter syndrome is known to be linked with burnout because we tend to want to hide our imposter syndrome by overworking. Another symptom of imposter syndrome is that we're not sharing our ideas and so our voices don't get heard at work and the company that we work for becomes therefore less innovative. Imposter syndrome occurs at all levels within organisations And it's especially prevalent when we start a new role, when we start a new company, and it can become really debilitating when we are promoted to a position. If you'd like to know more about the work that I do with organisations when it comes to imposter syndrome, to identifying it, to managing it, to overcoming it, please check out my website, impostersyndrome.ie. That's imposter with an E, impostersyndrome.ie. You're listening to the Happier at Work podcast. I'm your host, Aoife O'Brien. This is the podcast for leaders who put people first. The podcast covers four broad themes, engagement and belonging, performance and productivity, leadership equity, and the future of work. Everything to do with the Happier at Work podcast relates to employee retention. You can find out more at happieratwork.ie. People are just walking out of jobs because they don't like it. Whereas maybe in the 90s or prior to that, you'd stick to a job and this is your job, it's your livelihood and your life. But people are just resigning. Yeah, I don't like the culture, it wasn't a good fit for me. All right, well, what do you have lined up? Nothing. Okay. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Happier at Work podcast. I'm so thrilled that you decided to tune in today. I have a really exciting episode for you today. My guest is Ali Fakeki. He is the CEO and founder of Juno, which is a platform that uses personalization from a benefits perspective at work. So we talk about things like benefits at work. We talk about well-being at work. We talk about need satisfaction at work and how to create happier working environments through those means. So I know you're really going to enjoy today's episode. As always, I will do a synopsis of the key points at the end. So if there's anything that you kind of want to take action on straight away, definitely have a listen to that. And I always post about the podcast episodes on social media. So I'd love for you to get involved in the conversation. You'll find all of my links on on the website, happieratwork.ie. And I look forward to connecting with you, to hearing what you thought about today's episode. Ali, you're so welcome to the Happier at Work podcast. I'm delighted to have you as my guest today. Do you want to give people a little bit of a background, how you got into doing what you're doing? And we'll take the conversation from there. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's honestly an honor and a pleasure. I mean, it's great to see what you're doing. And, and it seems as though uh, if only there were more co- more companies and more uh, presences like yours, we would live in a better world. So thank you so much for having me. Uh, yeah, I'm Ali. I'm uh, Ali Fikeki, the founder and CEO of Juno. Uh, Juno's mission is to give power and flexibility to all employees around the world to make their own decisions when it comes to their benefits and their well-being. Uh, kind of born out of my own personal frustration, having worked in a variety of different tech startups and feeling like, you know, even though the businesses mean well, they just don't get it right when it comes to, you know, my happiness and the happiness of my peers. 
And ultimately, you know, uh, it comes down to being able to give people the choice and the power to make their own decisions. You know, for some people, well-being uh, is one thing and for others, it's something completely different. So um, Juno is essentially a flexible marketplace-based uh, platform that uh, employees get an allowance from their employer and they can use their allowance on whatever they need. Now, that has meant that employers are very happy because they can go the extra mile and they don't have to worry about keeping everyone globally uh, included, let's say. Um, and we've got people, you know, taking trips with their Juno points, uh, getting food boxes delivered, doing yoga classes, uh, connecting with their community. And very soon, actually, they're going to be um, able to buy tickets to concerts and cultural events and all sorts of fun stuff like that. So we're really kind of redefining what well-being at work and happiness at work really is. Mm, brilliant. And 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 I suppose in terms of redefining and kind of going back to your own experiences, how would you originally have perceived well-being at work versus what you perceive it to be now? You're very two-dimensional, to be honest with you. I mean, one of, I mean, I link uh, my LinkedIn cover picture is what if well-being was more than belly breaths and lunges? And it's a bit of an outdated, I think we should probably change that at some point, but it's been a four years. Uh, but essentially, you know, I felt like in my experience, well-being was very much sort of the purview of a lunchtime meditation uh, or a morning yoga class. And there's nothing wrong with those things. In fact, I have practiced them uh, myself. But ultimately, you know, most people if we're being completely honest, they don't, that doesn't really resonate with, with most people. I would say that um, the problem in the past is that companies will offer a set menu of a couple of things that are very sort of Eastern medicine well-being related and delight a very small percentage of their team. Whilst also ticking the box, you know, we do a lot for well-being. You know, you've got the lunchtime meditation and the evening breath work, and we're going to bring in a psychologist to talk about sleep. But, you know, like there are people that in accounts or and no offense to accounts, but there are people like in the in back office. Or, what, what are you saying about accounts, Ali? In sales or <laughs> you know, people, people all over the company, uh, and me included at the time, they would just roll their eyes at that mm. stuff. And yeah, like, well, yeah. that's, not, that's not useful. Yeah. To put it into real terms, you know, if you're a parent and you've got the school run, you're not turning up early an hour, an hour early to work to do a yoga class. Like it's not happening. Um, and benefits should benefit people, you know, well-being should be, for me at least, I feel like you should meet people where they are. You know, if, you know, if uh, James in accounts uh, doesn't want to go to yoga, and I'm sure he doesn't, then perhaps getting his house cleaned uh, once a month would help him. And then after that, a couple of months of that, then he might think, okay, well, maybe I should try uh, getting my veggie boxes delivered. And maybe then after that, I'll maybe I'll dabble in a headspace membership. And then all of a sudden they're on the train. But if you meet them immediately with let's do meditation to someone who's just alien to that and not willing, you're not going to get very far. So you've got to meet people where they are in that case. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, and, and um, I could be wrong. Uh, and it's, it's nearly five years now since I left the corporate world. When I worked in corporate, it was kind of a well-being week and we invited various different speakers in. It wasn't anything spread out over the year. It wasn't kind of once a month or anything like that, which I see happening now. 
But having said that, I still see it as very much a box ticking type of exercise. And my perception of what well-being is or how people perceive well-being is that it's um, that it, it's fruit bowls or it's bringing, like you said, someone in to do a yoga or something like that, that it's. But for me, the fundamental piece of creating happier working environments and, and some people call this well-being as well is the having the foundations set up correctly to begin with before you even think about those kind of additional benefits, if you like, those additional things that you could do, um, you know, the whether you're getting someone in to do the yoga or whether you're providing free food, fruit or subsidised lunches or whatever it might be. Um, any thoughts on that, on the fact that it, oftentimes it's kind of a box ticking thing that we've said, oh yeah, well, you know, we've done that now. Um, maybe you don't see it, it because the types of clients that you deal with are interested in that, but I'd love to get your thoughts. Well, I mean, the clients that do, uh, our clients or the businesses that do it well, they, they don't even see it as a box. Wellbeing yeah. is a box. It's just a systemic, you know, yeah. it's a system. It's a part of the business. It's part of the DNA. And now that isn't because they want it to be a happy and clappy place to work in and of itself. They recognize that if they want to attract and retain the best talent, if they want people to really work extremely hard and go the extra mile for the business, if they want their business to attract more business and make more money and, and have clients themselves, if that's, the, if that's their purview, this needs to be one of the, the considerations, you know, one of the aspects of their business. You know, at the end of the day, when it's a box ticking exercise, it's because well-being is a box. Mm. You know, it's a box, which is like, well, we should probably do something so that we say that we do it and that no one can argue that we don't. But the businesses that do it very well, and by the way, it doesn't have to be from the very beginning. It's a learned thing. Um, but businesses who actually think about it holistically and think, well, at the end of the day, and this is on your website, and I think it's pretty accepted wisdom now that your people are your most valuable asset. People are your business, and we don't really invest enough in them. We invest in technology. We invest in R&D, we invest in lots of other sort of, let's call them intangible, sorry, more kind of tangible mm. parts. Um, you probably can make a clearer ROI from those tangible things rather than people. Although there are ways to look at how much it costs when you lose someone from an organisation, you know, and, and estimating how much like, and why are people leaving? Is it because, and let's kind of go even beyond that, like let's go to the, uh, I've heard someone talking about ill-being. So uh, ill-being, and it's not just about well-being, it's when people are burning out or when they, you know, as Jacinda Ardern has said in, in her resignation speech, that she just has nothing left in the tank. So when people get to that stage and they have nothing left to give, that's cost the company money. But it's important to note that, like, Juno is not a, a panacea, panacea for this. Like, yeah. you can't just combat... You know, we, we try not to ever really refer to Juno and burnout in the same breath, really, because, mm. you know, these things are very complicated and people are very complicated and situations are very complicated. And ultimately, you know, Juno and, and good benefits is just part, a piece of a puzzle and a puzzle, a tapestry, let's call it. And, you know, in the foundation, I think, a lot of businesses need to think about their model and, and the way that they do business and how that impacts their people mm. in the same way that they might think about sustainability. A lot of 
companies will talk a big game when it comes to ESG, but they they overwork their staff or they they don't treat them in the right way or mm. whatever. There's a model yeah. that's very um, unfriendly and not employee first, and they don't realize that the t- the box ticking obfuscates that. I think, mm. yeah, you know, take an example of an agency model, a very large agency. You know, the margins in that in in that business are razor thin, and a lot of the cream rises to the top, meaning the the partners, and maybe the network um, will get the the lion's share of the profits there. And so, what's left for the people and the team is kind of a pittance, really. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, they're going to bring on more work because that's the name of the game. More yeah. bring on more client work, and 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 just keep stretching people's bandwidth. You know, yes, they do bring in freelancers because I've been in that environment myself. And yes, they bring in more people for client work, but it's usually never enough. So people end up feeling very burnt out um, because, you know, a big client has come on board and they haven't hired enough. So so the model needs to be something that they consider, I mm. think. Um, yeah. And then they're all, you know, in the tapestry, there are lots of other elements, you know, mm. culture, values, what, what you're able to accept, you know, how people interact with each other and so on. Mm. I think, I mean, the, the kind of the the bigger picture here, and I don't want to dwell on this point too much because it's not really what today is about, but it's think rethinking the future of work, I suppose, as a series of projects that you don't necessarily have to stay loyal to one organisation, that you can move from project to project and maybe groups of people can move from project to project together, depending on where the, the um the demand is for that type of work. I came from that that agency background as well. And I absolutely know that like you sell more stuff into your clients or you bring on a new client and it's not necessarily resourced. And I know in some instances they were deliberately under resourced because they wanted to retain a high level of profitability. And we did have quite high margins actually within that business. But, and they were higher than, say, the, in the Irish business, they were higher than the UK business. And for the powers that be, they wanted to retain that high level of profitability for, you know, for for um, KPIs and, and, and things like that, rather than, you know, and that was totally at the expense of people. So it comes back to this idea of looking at people and people's well-being versus profit. Mm. Well, it's systemic, you know, it's, it's it's all about incentives, you know, like people, we, we live in an incentivized, this is in our, it's in our nature, you know, mm. it's in our nature. And there needs to be a framing of this because it's not, you know, I think that it's not black and white, you know, ultimately businesses that put their people first and this is proven time and time again, do very well, mm-hmm. but also businesses that treat their people badly or don't have a great culture also do very well. <laughs> you know? That's not and, name any names. <laughs> no, I was about to, but I, I really... No, 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 I was joking. I was joking yeah. because I think... Revolut and Uber and those... That, that I'm not going to say that I've experienced it, but you hear that, yeah. you hear that they don't have the best culture. Mm. Goldman Sachs, for example. Yeah, Amazon, um, Twitter. Yeah. Amazon, yeah, exactly. And ultimately, um, the question is, would they have done better if they had a better culture? I don't know. The answer, yeah, yeah, I yeah. think probably p- potentially not. You know, so so the question really is, you know, it is a it is the choice that the business is making, and ultimately, 
if if a business thinks in ones and zeros or in in numbers and financial terms, then you know it is very clear the correlation between empowering people to enjoy their work and to feel good and to enjoy coming into work and to be well mm. and the bottom line there is a correlation especially yeah. now because people i mean if you speak to hiring managers and i'm sure you 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 are you know more than i do people are just walking out of jobs because they don't like it that's a pretty you know that's that's a generational thing and i don't mean generation in terms of age people are all ages but it's a it's a workplace generational thing mm-hmm. where now whereas maybe in the 90s or prior to that you'd stick to a job and this is your job it's your livelihood and your yeah. life but people are just resigning mm-hmm. yeah I don't like the culture it wasn't a good fit for me all i right, think what, it's what do you have lined up nothing okay yeah yeah and that was me twice you know and i think I think perhaps it's an evolution thing. And I think perhaps people are seeing that you don't have to stay in something that doesn't align. Like I, I suppose from my own perspective, I want to eliminate toxic cultures to make sure that that we don't have toxic cultures anymore. Not everyone is going to resonate with that. Some people are happy, like you say, to stay in that culture where it's, you know, maybe it's competitive or maybe they're not being treated the best, but they have a really great name on their CV as a result and they want to stay for two or three years so that it looks like they've contributed something or, or, you know, something like that. Whereas, you know, I think from a um, toxic workplace perspective, if, you know, people are, some people are, are realizing that they have options and they leave. Yeah, and I think COVID really kind of accelerated the concept that, well, I'm just going to put myself first. You know, I, yeah. I'm not, I'm not going to sacrifice my peace of mind for a business, for a company, for employment. You know, I think that, by the way, you know, I think that it's this is, I have to caveat all of this with this is a very white collar problem. Mm. You know, this is a very, um, in many ways, if I may use the word privileged problem mm. to have. Because yeah, yeah a lot of people don't have the ability to walk. You You're know? so right, yeah, yeah. And and we need to remember that, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I was thinking about doing a podcast, uh, Ask, so a podcast by my marketing peers uh, in the business, and about, you know, interviewing founders and CEOs. Like, yeah, that's, that's good, but actually I'd just rather interview just regular folks with jobs, like... Mm-hmm like nurses and, and, and people, you know, who I have, I'm not, I don't live in London, but I have heard so much about the strikes, the tube strikes, right? Mm. I have never, not once heard ever a tube driver speak ever mm. about why. And that might be because I don't read the news, <laughs> um, but it's not in the mainstream media. Where are these people? Why, why, are, why is there not an Amazon worker? I'm sure there is, excuse my ignorance, but why have I not seen hmm. a podcast talking to someone who works in an Amazon warehouse talking about, you know, the, what their life is like? Yeah. So enable our society. Today I got some books and some packages and someone delivered that to me. Yeah. But someone yeah. also had to pick it or, or, 
Yeah, by the way, the book that I got was was this. This is a good book, Human: The Laws of Human Nature. By oh, I must check it out. Yeah, I love that. And I, I don't deliberately ask people for books, and I'm a huge fan of books. I have a, You don't want to even see the stack of books I have, and I write summaries of the books, and I put them on my website and everything. Um, mm. But but more often than not, people will suggest a book to read when I'm on the podcast. And I've, I listen to other podcasts where people specifically ask, oh, do you have a book to recommend? And of course, I'll furiously write down like what book they recommended. Uh, so thank you. Thank you for that recommendation. Of course. You know, I, 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 I can give you plenty. I have to admit, though, I don't finish books. I just kind of, I, I tend to be a bit um, of a millennial with that stuff. I just, I'm very, I speed read very often and uh, don't finish them. I need to work on that. Sure. <laughs> I think it, I have a tendency to finish books, even if I don't think they're that great. Like there's only one book I think that I've never I got about halfway through and I just thought this is actually painful to read. I can't read anymore. But for the most part, I will finish no matter what. Um, but I think, again, that's the other extreme. This is the like, why should I finish something if it's not if it's not brilliant or if it's not doing what I expected, then, you know, we've taken a whole other aside here. So. I know, I know. A little bit of peace, but that's a good point. <laughs> exactly. That's what I love about making this podcast. Um, so, Ali, I suppose coming back to this concept of well-being at work, we kind of started with this, like it's not like previously maybe would have thought to have been a specific type of a service or a product that you give your employees and very much a box ticking. I love how you describe it as it's a systemic thing. It needs to be part of the fabric of the organisation, part of the culture that you're putting people first and it's about people's well-being. How do you think things have evolved and what are the kind of things that you think contribute to well-being now beyond kind of what what you offer at Juno? Yeah, I mean, I I think, uh, pardon me for using cliched phrases but uh, you know we live in a very individualistic yeah. society. Mm. people are much especially in the west you know m- much more incentivized to work towards their own aims i see that as the as a first time founder and a person who thought he was better at man- thought he was a better manager of people than he actually is but i'm learning but i'm learning a lot about you know, people are far more interested, and fair enough, in their own in their own ends. I actually just read, skimmed past a LinkedIn post about how you know, seeing the layoffs by all these big tech companies. The truth is that these companies don't care about you, and and you should be focusing on building your own brand. Now, I, I think what Juno is doing, and what we're doing with 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 the business, is kind of leaning in to that which is that we live in an individualized world and in an, in the working world where a business is is really a collective right like you know if you take great businesses they are a collective of people that work under one banner which is the brand and that still occurs on a daily basis and very successful companies uh, have employees that believe in the cult of the business right because that that's what that's what it takes is is a collectivization, a church almost. And so the question is how do great businesses get built when we live in an increasingly individualized world of work and and world in general? 
Um, and it can still be done. You know, I give an example of Oyster HR where one of our clients and we're big admirers of Oyster. And, and, and it seems to me, at least from my understanding and my interactions with the people there, that they are very, very, very collectively passionate about the business and the mission. And they've done an incredible job. You know, the, the valuation, billion dollar valuation within two years of being founded. I mean, it's quite incredible. Um but regardless, I think Juno is leaning into that individualism, which is to say, you know, to companies that today people are interested in in what in what they can get in terms of everything and in well-being and benefits. It's really a no-brainer. I mean, come on, how how can you provide something beneficial mm. to seven hundred different people? I mean, that's insane. It's not possible. Yeah. If you have three options, you know, do you want a gym, you know, gym membership, you know, subsidized, or do you want health insurance, or do you want, you know, um, yoga? Uh, come on, seven hundred people out of seven hundred, I mean, you might interest a hundred. Mm-hmm. And so it really is about leaning into that and giving people a lot more choices, a bigger breadth of choices, giving them the power to vote with their own allowance and. The companies love that because they're like, oh God, the tyranny of the individual, like the the amount of different people and personalities. And there's not, you know, not less than 20 people, clients or people that I've spoken to that have said to me, oh God, I, I hate this benefits thing because no matter what we bring on, someone's unhappy. Mm. Someone's got something to say. And it's like, yeah, so come to us and we'll handle it. So <laughs> if we lean into it, to it I, I think um, you can't, you know, with the remote work stuff and the stuff after COVID, there was an attempt to deny the reality. Mm. But you've got to go with, you've got to roll with the punches. Like if people want to work remotely, whether you think it's going to be more productive or not, it's kind of irrelevant. Mm. Because the idea that you're now going to push against that tide and say, well, we work in the office and, and limit your candidate pool to between 10 and 15 miles, like yeah. of that office, you know, it just... I understand there are benefits, sure, but but the point is the world is it, it's where the world is going is completely undeniable. We're going to be more more flexible, more individualized. Mm. It's just the way it is, and yeah. so you might as well get a head start. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, as I record this podcast, I'm in Tenerife. I'm working remotely from here, mm. um, but there's so much that I want to pick up on and what you just said, Ali. So this idea of the individual, and I think that's. It's been around from a consumer perspective, let's say, for a while. So if you think back to the day, uh, and I don't know if if you're saying that you're a millennial, I don't know if you're too young to remember this, but like old school maps where you had to pick out the map and you had to find out where you were and where you wanted to go. And now we have Google Maps and Google shows you where you are and all you need to do is tell it where you want to go because it already knows where you are. And the Coca-Cola bottles, see, there's the examples I always remember, the Coca-Cola bottles that had individual people's names on it. And you want to buy it because it has your name on it, you know. So I think from a consumer perspective, we've been going down this individual road for a long time. And for a long time, work has remained at this very one size fits all. We we have a couple of different options to choose from. Um, And from another perspective, I love this idea of, of satisfying the individual because the research I did as part of my dissertation looked at uh, or showed that the importance of need satisfaction at work. And I think it's really, really crucial. And 
So there's some some uh, universal needs that everyone has, but there are also some unique needs that each individual has. And I think at a manager level, it's really important to have those discussions and to understand what those needs are at that mm-hmm. level and to be able to satisfy the employee needs at the individual level rather than saying, oh, this team needs or this organization needs and try and satisfy needs at, at that level. So it's brilliant to bring it back down, I think, to the individual. Well, I, th- I think that there still needs to be, you know, it, of course, you know, another analogy is is the fact that we, I don't, but no, you know, I do. I have one social media profile, which is LinkedIn. I need it for work. But, you know, we all have these profiles. We have these uh, these these representations of ourselves. We have our own advertising. Yeah. We have our Instagram pages and our LinkedIn and our Twitter and these things. And they're all intended to showcase ourselves and, and the things that we want people to see. And, and it's it's quite bizarre if you think about it. Uh, you know, I don't think... I think, you know, kings and queens of, of old would have been absolutely blown away by the local coffee influencer in Denver's following, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. oh my God, this person can reach 7,000 people yeah. at once, you know. So so we have this ability, which is really incredible. Now, what I would say, though, is there is a threat, right? Because individuals' needs being met, they're not just at work, right? It's everywhere in yeah. the world, right? In life, we want our needs met and that's natural. Now, the thing is, is that, if I was to use another analogy, it would be, you know, square pegs in, in, in round holes is not even the right one because it's two squares. There's no receptacle. There's no sort of like, <laughs> no, there's no docking in any way. There are yeah. two individuals who, who are incentivized to, to maximize their own ends. Mm. Now, what's needed in work is compromise. And compromise means for people to be able to, to give and to sacrifice and i'm guilty of this right i'm guilty i'll be completely honest with you of pushing someone when they're resistant to my ideas as a ceo or resistant to the the sort of direction that i would like to go and they're very resistant to that and i realized too late that it was because the more you push the more you try and get your side across the more you try and get your personal agenda across you know, people have a very, this is what I'm learning in this book, people have a very innate uh, autonomy, right? People have a very innate need to be autonomous and to feel like they have free will. And so when you have this kind of two squares, no no hole whatsoever, just like this bashing against each other of, of, of individuality, you're not really going to get anywhere. So I think it's important that, yeah, of course, people are individuals and we have to admit that and, and, and accept it and identify that, but use that to our advantage by building bridges and allowing people to understand that their ends will be met if the collective end is met. Because you can't, I don't think, you can't build a successful business, especially a startup in a very competitive environment without people being able to yet in the long term have an idea that they're going to succeed. You know, to be able to say, well, I'm going to work on the weekend because I really want this thing to be done. I don't want to let my colleagues down and so on and so forth. See what I'm saying? So, Mm. So there, there needs to be a compromise for things to work. Absolutely, yeah. Um, so I like this, I suppose, thinking about from the perspective of each individual wants their own needs met, but they need to find ways to work with each other for the greater mm. good of the organisation. Is that kind of where you're going with that? 
Yeah, I mean, to delay the instant gratification, the personal gratification. Okay, to do, yeah. To sort of say, and this is one of the pet peeves I have sometimes, is you think like, you know, in the same way that, you know, it, working out or doing anything worthwhile, just like suffer for a few months or mm. years. Because in the end, you're going to have a real pride in having achieved what you achieved. Mm stuck at it and you were gritty and you know you push yourself and you can be proud of the fact that you push through the through the discomfort you know yeah. one of the things that's a bit of a if I'm being completely honest a bit of a red flag for me when I interview folks is this kind of I can I can tell when it's when it's authentic and I can tell when it's not but kind of an interest in well-being in in my in Juno and do we have work-life balance? And of course we do. And we have, you know, a, a lot of policies and systems that allow people to just kind of tell us and tell us that they're taking holiday rather than ask us, for example. But I also think it's worth people being uncomfortable, you know, mm. being uncomfortable, working, working, doing things that are difficult, you know, going to the gym. I go to the gym. It's not fun all the time, but I'm doing it because I want to build long-term health. And I want to be proud of myself for pushing through. So I would say that, you know, it, it, life isn't the, the pursuit of pleasure is a, is a folly. It's not something that is going to get you anywhere, you know? Um, now you can find a lot of happiness and pride in, in, in being uncomfortable. Um, and of course we're not advocating toxicity at all and, and bullying or harassment. That's, that's beside the point. Um, you know, there's there's the difference between martial arts and getting beaten up, right? Like there's <laughs> honor in one and 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 there's there is not in another. So mm. I think it, it is important that people do kind of I feel at least uh, identify that there is pleasure at the end of the pain, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if we if we kind of take that back to a well-being and need satisfaction and personalization, the individualistic approach is really saying that your needs are not necessarily going to be met eventually, but if you continue on with the discomfort, maybe that you're feeling because you're frustrated because your needs are not being met and you get to the other side of that, there might be something even better waiting for you because of this delayed gratification. So you're yeah. putting up with some kind of short term. But we've been doing that all our lives. We've been doing, all, we've been doing it all our lives. Yeah. School. I mean, most of us went to school. You know, and for those of us that went to university and studied and did a dissertation, yeah, I wasn't fun. <laughs> well, that was the other thing that I was going to say that kind of sprang to mind when we're talking about this. And for me, it's it's not um, I'll be happy when or it's it's kind of some anonymous time in the future. And maybe let's come back to this gym example that you shared, because I think that's very relatable. People, whether they go to the gym or not, they can certainly relate to the process mm. involved. So for me, it's more about the process and whatever you're doing at the time brings you joy rather than doing something that is innately horrible to do with the idea that in the future I'm going to be promoted and when I'm promoted, I'll be happy or in the future, I'll be happy or when I lose weight, I'll be happy. So yeah. it's more about I'm doing the exercise because I know it's good for me. I'm doing the exercise actually because it's something I find that's fun or it's good for my mental health or I feel better after doing it at the time, even if it's sore, even if it's painful as I do it. 
I know that it's something that's that's kind of good for me. Do, is that kind of is that resonating? You're, yeah, of course, because you know any kind of any 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 accepted wisdom would tell you that your all of your opportunities are on the other side of your pain. Like, <laughs> just is the case. You know, it, it's not. I'm not saying you know, to let another person take advantage of you or or do something that is going to be traumatic, of course. Mm. But, you know, I think it really depends on where you are in your life. You know, at the end of the day, in a startup, you you don't even have the right to exist. You, Juno is a business that just through sheer force of will, stubbornness, and the talent of the people that I brought around, um, the people that are in the early stages and even now who sacrificed a lot of time, effort, energy, uh, peace of mind, you know, it's, it's, it, that is the name of the game. And then the ultimate pride is, oh my God, before I, this happened, before it happened, there was no, there was no, this, there was no Juno. There was no people getting uh, their first, taking their first, their kid on their first vacation through their benefits. There was just nothing that didn't exist. And now we made that happen. Yeah. 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 And so the pain was worth it. Yeah. So it's turning an idea that you had into reality, but it's an acknowledgement and maybe, you know, something I jotted down as well. It's finding that balance between how much pain is too much. And it's, is, is the pain, like knowing that you're going to have success, I suppose, at the other side of that versus doing something you really don't enjoy in the hopes that something is going to change versus doing something that you know is going to have an impact on the world. But I, 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 you know, I might be putting us or me out of a job, but, you know, I think it is also about mindset, you know, like maybe if you had a, a business that invested in, you know, top, specialists in, in 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 ensuring people have the right mindset and this sounds quite dystopian when i say it but the point being you know we just talked about it this is a generally white collar issue because we don't hear or very often at least or we demonize uh you know let's call them more blue collar workers we demonize the nurses and the the rail um workers and the postal workers that strike because they're pay isn't being increased or their working conditions aren't good enough or they're not being treated in the way that they need to be and they're not able to unionize you know and so on and so forth like we don't re- but but you know someone saying that they work for a toxic workplace culture and i'm not denying that it that it isn't the case but our society seems to be very very focused on that and i speak to people that are 10 years younger than me i'm only 31 but I people people who've just started their career and you do hear far too often people say, well, I don't want to do that. I don't really like that. And it's like, yeah, but you're lucky that you have a degree and you can... You have that choice. You have that option. Firm, you know, and, and I, I worked in the first year of Juno, I worked making coffee and tea and being a barista and a waiter. And I loved that. I ended up hating it. But you, I started off hating it, but I ended up loving it because you just... You just tell yourself, well, first of all, I'm making money, which is good. Second of all, I'm meeting different people. So I think it is a mindset thing. Like, do you really hate your job or is it something else? Mm. You know, is it something? And that that's that's the ultimate, the ultimate question that I ask, you know, myself about my life sometimes. But you know, it, it, we need to make sure that this kind of well-being thing is framed in the correct, in the correct way. 
I love that. I'm just going to repeat it <laughs> for the for the listeners. Do you really hate your job or is it something else? So, I mean, that kind of opens a can of worms for a whole other podcast episode, I would say, as in, is it something else that you're you're uh, maybe not happy about in your life or you're not progressing as quickly as you thought? So maybe it's not necessarily the situation you find yourself in. Maybe you're not asking for the opportunities. Maybe you're not putting yourself out there. Maybe you're not networking enough to make those connections that you need in order to be successful at work. So um, a really powerful question, I think. And, and maybe for anyone listening today, ask yourself that. Is it the fact that you do you actually really hate your job or is there something, some specific actions that you could take in order to make things better for yourself? Absolutely. Brilliant. Um, Ali, the question I ask everyone who comes on the Happier at Work podcast, what does being happier at work mean to you? Uh, great question. I think, first of all, having a, a group of people around you that make you feel supported and empowered and that you feel you're doing enough to support, empower your colleagues. Because, you know, you, you work with people, right? You, you leave bad managers and you stay with good ones. And you know, that's mm. just the way, the, the old adage. I think a lot of people, most people will say, and I will agree that having a mission and, and, a, and, a, and, a, and a genuine impact mm. is very important. And at least, you know, in the long run, feeling as though the work that you're doing is having an impact internally and is being valued and you're being valued for your contribution. Mm. So those are the three systemic ones. And then obviously the ancillary things are, you know, having the empowerment to choose where you work, how you work, what benefits you have, for example, uh, being treated like an adult, removing that sort of parental transaction that's been so rampant in companies. Um, and I think that I, I leave it at those, those few. And again, like to me, that opens up a whole load of other conversations. Like you're so right about this adult versus parent and being treated like a child when you're at work as well. So maybe that's a, another topic for a future episode. Uh, if people want to find out more about Juno, if they would like to connect with you, what's the best place that they can do that? Absolutely. So the website for Juno is withjuno.com. So W-I-T-H-J-U-N-O.com. And you can find everything you need to know on our site, I would hope. Uh, my name is Ali Fakeki, so that's that's a bit of a doozy to spell. So A double L Y, and then my surname is F E K A I K I, and you can find me on LinkedIn. So hit me up, and I'd love to. Yeah, if anyone wants to have a conversation, I'm uh, I'm all ears. Brilliant. Thanks. Thank yeah, thank you so much. Thanks for sharing your insights today. Really insightful chat. Really, really enjoyed it. Thank so you. really appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. That was Ali Fakeki, the founder and CEO of the platform Juno. And before I share some of the key insights, I wanted to remind you to get involved in the conversation on social media. You can find all of my links on the Happier at Work website. That's happieratwork.ie. Now, one of the things I really took away from my conversation with Ali was that benefits should benefit people. I absolutely love that approach. And I think oftentimes we forget that that's what benefits are there for. He also described well-being as a system. So it should be part of the DNA. It's not about having a well-being program. It's about embedding this concept of well-being in everything that you do as an organisation. 
I also wanted to reiterate the point that businesses that treat people well actually do better as well. And there is research to back this up that organisations that create happier working environments actually are more successful and more profitable than those who do not. Ali also talked about the fact that benefits need to be individualistic because we're each working towards our own aims and we have a tendency to want to put ourselves and our needs first. Now, this kind of reminded me of this day and age that we're in. Anyone who is listening who is old enough and judging by the demographics, there's a lot of people listening who are old enough to remember when you used to have a map and if you wanted to get somewhere from destination Uh, sorry, from start point A to destination B, that you had to plot on the map, first of all, where you were and then where you want to get to. But now in the day and age of Google Maps, Google knows already where you are and it can tell you exactly where you need to go just by plugging in the destination. So everything in life has become a lot more personalised, whether that's the ads that you're seeing, whether it is the recommendations on Netflix, for example. Um, An an example I always think about as well is going back, uh, again, showing my age, this is going back quite a few years, is when Coca-Cola had the personalised bottles that they put your name. And so people went out searching for their name on a Coca-Cola bottle and there was huge excitement. But it was one of the first examples of personalisation. And so it's just something that really reminded me of that. And I'm seeing it more and more. Something else I really liked and again this ties in with my own research and what I've spoken about before on the podcast is this need, this idea of need satisfaction at work and how it's so important that our needs are satisfied at work and we want our needs met in all areas of our life and this innate need we have to be autonomous people and that is Again, if you haven't listened to the episode, do definitely check out the the episode around unlocking happiness at work. And I go into a bit more detail on our needs in that specific episode. He talked also about this idea of gal- delayed gratification. I think that's something that a lot of people struggle with, myself included. I'm not going to exclude myself from that. So it's delaying gratification for a long term gain. So not just looking at the short term uh, what you're going to get in the short term, but thinking about things in a longer, more strategic way and about pushing through that discomfort and being comfortable being uncomfortable. I've done something quite recently myself that was quite uncomfortable for me. I spoke about happiness at work. Uh, I invited one of my previous podcast guests, Marisa Elizondia, and we talked about happiness at work all through Spanish for an entire hour. We invited up guests to ask their questions. Uh, But, you know, something that was uncomfortable for me, but I'm definitely going to do it again. Pushed myself out of my comfort zone. But it's that's how you learn. It's, you know, it's how you get things done. My Spanish probably wasn't the best, but I had so many comments afterwards about people saying I didn't know how well you spoke Spanish. So I'm pleased with myself and I will be doing it again. We talked also about this concept of work-life balance and having those policies and a system in place to support people's work-life balance. And I know if you're a long-time listener to the show, you'll know that there's lots of other words that you can use for work-life balance. And I think it's kind of, it's almost a misnomer. You're never going to achieve work-life balance and why is work but first before life, etc., etc. But really it's about creating those policies and systems, but not only creating those policies and systems, but but 
enabling and empowering people to to I was going to say take advantage. Maybe that's the right word, but to really utilize those opportunities to create better work life balance. So it's not that you have these policies in place and if people are seen to take them, then they're perceived as being less interested in the role, for example. We talked also about the pursuit of pleasure and how the pursuit of pleasure is a total folly, that it's it's not about pursuing pleasure, it's about finding joy in the everyday. And, and, and this question that Ali posed, do you really hate your job or is it something else? So again, something worth thinking about there. And the final thought that I wanted to leave you with in relation today was this idea of the systemic nature of work and how you can make people feel supported and empowered, that you are having an impact on the world, that you're, you have this mission that you can get behind and believe in and that you feel really valued in the role that you're doing as well. That's it for this week. Do get involved in the conversation on social media. You'll find all my links on happieratwork.ie. I tend to focus most on LinkedIn and Instagram. So I look forward to interacting with you there. That's it for this week. And I will talk to you again next week. That was another episode of the Happier at Work podcast. I am so glad you tuned in today. If you enjoyed today's podcast, I would love to get your thoughts. Head on over to social media to get involved in the conversation. If you enjoy the podcast, I would love if you could rate, review it, or share it with a friend. If you want to know more about what I do or how I could help your business, head on over to happieratwork.ie.